the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Eight minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we are underway on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Appreciate you being with us. It is the 10th morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2023. And uh, it's also another kind of a thing. It's a free-for-all Friday! Where are you, Mr. Scream? Hey, I can't do that very long. Hey, thank you. Holy cow. I couldn't hold that note very long. I always rely on Mr. Scream to bring that home. It is a free-for-all Friday, yes. And that means an opportunity for you to scream. I prefer not, but at least express yourself as you see fit uh, on whatever it is that has uh, taken the or made the news this week, that has uh, taken hold of you, that has 
brought you to a place where you just need to vent about it or at least maybe even ask questions about it. Whatever's in the news this week or even beyond, we will do it. That's what Free For All Friday is. I've got one guest coming up at 935. We're going to talk with Gordon Chang, who's going to tell us about uh, a little bit more about um, uh, what the China uh, aggression with their their spy balloon really, really means and the American response to it. That's going to be coming up at 935. We quoted him, and he said they are, uh, last or earlier this week, they are building up in China the uh, military at the fastest pace they have done since the Second World War. They are preparing their citizens for war. And guess what? It's not going to be just with Taiwan. You better understand what's coming. That's what we're going to talk to Gordon Chang about coming up at uh, 935. Other than Gordon, however, we really are doing Free For All Friday today. Uh, a lot of times we say it, but then we don't deliver on Free For All because we end up with a whole bunch of guests with a whole bunch of newsworthy topics. But uh, today we are going to really make sure that you have plenty of opportunity to be heard on whatever topic you see fit. It is your choice, 216-901-0945. You can also try... Um, Triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Either one of those numbers will bring you here. We're going to start this morning with the pledge because I don't want to interrupt the uh, seriousness of the first topic we're going to monologue on um, uh, by doing the pledge in the middle of it. So what I want you to do now, if you would, my patriot friends, go ahead and stand. And by the way, you know, for, for if you're a new listener and you think you know this is this is hokey. Uh, that it's just, you know, goofy and it's just, you know, pseudo patriotism, playing the pledge, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we're, pa- and, and that nobody's actually doing this. We did, um, on Tuesday, wasn't it, Johnny? It was Tuesday. Steve Moore was on right at 9.15 where we're talking about what the pledge, what the, uh, State of the Union or State of Confusion of, uh, address was going to be about. I think it was Tuesday. We had Steve Moore, former uh, economic advisor to President Trump, on the air on Tuesday, and he had to come in early because he had a very, very busy day on the State of the Union day. And uh, so he was on at 9.15 in the morning. And as such, like right about now, it's 9.12, I went right into the interview and completely forgot the Pledge of Allegiance. And the phone calls kept coming. People kept calling off the air and telling our call screener, Marianne, Marianne they want their pledge. And I even, in fact, I wonder if it's still up. Give me one second to check check on something here. I actually got a DM, a direct message on my Facebook account from somebody said, it's never too late to play the Pledge of Allegiance. And this was like in the, I don't know, late 10 o'clock hour. It was after 10 o'clock. It, it might have been closer to 11 o'clock. And I don't know if I still have it up. I, I can't seem to find it in the messages right now. But the message was very direct and very clear. It's never too late to play the pledge. In other words, let's go, France. Give me my pledge. So this means a lot to people. It's just, it's kind of, it's kind of, I'm still digging real quick. There it is. It was Kathy. Kathy, there it is. It was 1012. Okay, I was close. 1012 a.m. on Tuesday. Kathy messaged me. It's never too late for our pledge. And then she put the uh, American flag emoji in there. I know it's busy. Kathy was exactly right. So were the other callers, and we did our pledge. We got it in sometime, I want to say, in the uh, right before the 11 o'clock hour, after the 11 o'clock hour, whatever. Point is, I know this means a lot to people who listen to this broadcast. So, yes, patriots, go ahead and rise. Face your flag. Put your hand on your heart and join us. I know it means so much to you, and it means a lot to me that it means a lot to you. We do this in every speech that I give, every gathering that I address or attend. Everybody is so very proud to do the pledge there, so we do it here as well. Now, if you don't believe in liberty 
or life. Yeah, as, as Kamala Harris would say, life, liberty, or the pursuit of happiness. Or actually, she wouldn't say the life part. But if you don't believe in that, and if you believe that it is okay in a society of decent human beings to support the physical mutilation of young preformative bodies with decisions made by young preformative brains, all to advance a political agenda, then you definitely don't know what that flag actually means. You may instead take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback, while the rest of us do stand and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So this has gone viral uh, in the last 24 hours or so, and uh, with very good reason. This is why I set up what I did with the pledge there. Those of us who have made a point of trying to bring under control some way, somewhat some way this, this massive, growing, uh, reprehensible, indefensible movement to turning kids from what they are into something that they're not by way of grooming, by way of indoctrinating, by way of exploiting, by way of sexualizing them at a very young age. Um, th- this movement is is dangerous, but that doesn't. I need a thesaurus to find more words. Uh, dangerous doesn't even begin to discuss it or describe it. But those of us who have have made a movement or made this movement to stop that movement in our schools and beyond, and there are a lot of people nationally who are working very very hard about this, uh, hard, hard at this rather. Uh, we're often putting our reputations on the line because we are being called bigots. We are being branded as phobes, transphobe, homophobe, LGBTQ-phobe, whatever. Uh, We are being branded as hate mongers. We are being branded as, you know, pseudo-Christians because we pretend as Christians to love everyone, but you hate these people. You know all of this stuff. When we call for an end to this insane practice of warping young kids' minds, taking advantage of their own normal, childlike confusion and and silliness, trying to say this means that they are something different than what they are. Um, when When we talk about these things, we can be easily dismissed by those who are part of that agenda as 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 the bigots that I just described. But what happened yesterday and what has gone viral since yesterday um, changes all of that. Because nobody is going to be, be able to brand this person as a bigot. No one is going to be able to brand Jamie Reed as a homophobe or an LGBTQ phobe or a transphobe or a hate monger. Because Jamie Reed describes herself as a queer woman who is politically to the left of socialist Bernie Sanders. And she is making an apology. And she is blowing the whistle on what she and others like her have done and have been doing to children because she has finally seen the light and finally understands the evil that she was participating in. This essay that she wrote and these interviews that she's giving 
like I said, have gone viral. The only question remains is, will, will, will this be buried? Will this be crushed? Will this be censored? Will this be silenced by social media accounts or platforms? Will the news media not give it, it, give it uh, its due coverage? That's the only thing they can do, because there's no way to refute everything and every, uh, anything and everything that she says in this whistleblowing uh, expose on what is being done to young children. And I'm going to read part of this to you. Her headline is, I thought I was saving trans kids. Now I'm blowing the whistle. There are more than 100 pediatric gender clinics across this country. And she says, I worked at one. What's happening to children is morally and medically appalling. I'm a 42-year-old St. Louis native, a queer woman, and politically to the left of Bernie Sanders. My worldview has deeply shaped my career. I have spent my professional life providing counseling to vulnerable populations, children in foster care, sexual minorities, and the poor. For almost four years, I worked at the Washington University School of Medicine Division of Infectious Diseases with teens and young adults who were HIV positive. Many of them were trans or otherwise gender nonconforming, and I could relate. Through childhood and adolescence, I did a lot of gender questioning myself. I'm now married to a trans man. I guess that means a woman. Um, And together we are raising my two biological children from a previous marriage and three foster children we hope to adopt. All that led me to a job in 2018 as a case manager at the Washington University Transgender Clinic, or excuse me, Center at the St. Louis Children's Hospital, which had been established a year earlier. The center's working assumption was that the earlier you treat kids with gender dysphoria, the more anguish you can prevent later on. This premise was shared by the center's doctors and therapists. Given their expertise, I assume the the abundant evidence backed this consensus. During the four years I worked at the clinic as a case manager, I was responsible for patient intake and oversight. Around a 1,000 distressed young people came through our doors. The majority of them received hormone prescriptions that can have life-altering consequences, including sterility. I left the clinic in November of last year because I could no longer participate in what was happening there. By the time I departed, I was certain that the way the American medical system is treating these patients is the opposite of the promise that we make to do no harm. Instead, we are permanently harming the vulnerable patients in our care. Today, I'm speaking out. I'm doing so knowing how toxic the public conversation is around this highly contentious issue and the that uh, that and the ways that my testimony might be misused. I am doing so knowing that I am putting myself at serious personal and professional risk. Almost every and I'm gonna stop there for a moment. This is what I meant in my introduction. She is worried about putting herself at risk and her reputation at risk and her professional career at risk. Because that is how unbelievably predatory the and greedy the lgbtq movement to turn boys into girls and girls into boys really is they would even turn on one of their own that's why it's so difficult to do what i do and a much larger scale to do what somebody like matt walsh does who is testifying before congress about this yesterday People who are trying to shine a light on the evil of this trans movement that is warping, dementing, and causing extraordinary psychological damage to kids who then know they have done something and the adults in their lives failed them by not stopping them. 
They have done things that they will regret the rest of their lives. Chemical castration and sterility, then into the physical surgical procedures, cutting off healthy organs. When we say these things, we just are bigots, hate mongers. She is one of them. She has a much different platform from which to speak on this. And that's why this is so important, what she revealed yesterday. Almost everyone in my life advised me to keep my head down, but I cannot in good conscience do so. Because what is happening to scores of children is far more important than my comfort. And what is happening to them is morally and medically appalling. Soon after my arrival at the Transgender Center, I was struck by the uh, lack of formal formal protocols for treatment. The center's physician co-directors were essentially the sole authority. At first, the patient population was tipped toward what used to be the traditional instance of a child with gender dysphoria, a boy, often quite young, who wanted to present as and wanted to be a girl. Until 2015 or so, a very small number of these boys comprised the population of uh, pediatric gender dysphoria cases. Then across the Western world, there began to be a dramatic increase in a new population. Teenage girls, many with no previous history of gender distress, suddenly declared they were transgender and demanded immediate treatment with testosterone. I certainly saw this at the center. One of my jobs was to do intake for new patients and their families. When I started, there were probably 10 such calls a month. When I left, there were 50. And about 70% of the new patients were girls. Sometimes clusters of girls arrived from the same high school. I'll stop there. Do you understand why that is? Do you understand what the odds are of a cluster group of friends to all have suffered or be suffering from gender dysphoria, a psychological condition that afflicts less than 1% of the population? That all of these girls just suddenly happened to become afflicted with gender dysphoria? Or was this a group of girls, like thousands upon thousands of others across this country, who decided, I'm getting in on the trend. I'm different too. I want different pronouns. I want a different identity. I'm different too. And with typical peer pressure, just like the peers that scream chug, 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 chug at an underage drinking party. The girls felt pressured by one another to let's go do this thing. Now instead of beer, it's testosterone tablets or injections. Chug, chug, chug. Yep, I'm a guy. Now I'm going to pause there because of where our clock is. It's 925. We're going to take a time out. We're going to come back, and we're going to get uh, into a conversation with Gordon Chang about national security and a potential war with China. But this is going to be the theme of what I want to talk about today. It is a free-for-all Friday. If you want to change the subject, you certainly may. But this is where I'm going to stay today because the, the severity and the seriousness of the situation demands it. Not to mention there is a direct tie to a local situation brewing out in Wadsworth. So I'm all over this today. Stay with me. Don't miss a segment because you're going to miss part of what I read and part of what we share. Don't miss a segment. Right here on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer.
Okay, it's 928, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. So I want to kind of uh, you know lay it out for you. Here's what we're doing uh, today. As I said, it's a free-for-all Friday. We have plenty of opportunities for you to be heard, and we will do so. I'm going to stay on the new viral story of a trans worker, a gender queer woman who uh, uh, was a transgender worker at uh, uh, a medical center in, uh, in St. Louis who is now blowing the whistle. Uh, on the fact that this is not care, this is harming kids, and this is not being done for the in the interest of the kids. This is being done in the interest of money, pure and simple profit, nothing more, nothing less. So we're going to talk about that as the program goes on. But coming up after the bottom of the hour news, news in bottom of the hour news is easy for me to say. We're going to talk with uh, Gordon Chang. Gordon Chang is a columnist, an author, and a lawyer, and he's the author of The Coming Collapse of China, which he is predicting will be the collapse. Um, and he has essentially said this is going to happen, but um, they're going to do everything they can to avoid it, including, if need be, go to war. He said they're building their military in China faster than they have at any time since the Second World War, and that they are preparing their citizens for war. In other words, not just their military, but their citizens. This is an extraordinary development. Uh, and as he configures, or excuse me, as they con- uh, configure their military to uh, defeat Americans uh, and, of course, the Taiwanese and anywhere else that this may start, um, this should be of great concern to us considering they are floating intelligence-gathering spy balloons over American airspace very, very wantonly, very brazenly, and with no response whatsoever while it was over American, uh, American land uh, from the Biden administration. It's dangerous. And Gordon Chang will tell us how. Coming right up on AM 1420, The Answer. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, 937. Thanks for being with us as we continue on this free-for-all Friday. Yes, and I think the Pentagon is really not of a mindset to deal with China. Um, they, they just have don't have the right framework for thinking about this. And so you have these threats. Yes. You know, we heard the NORAD commander, General Van Herc, um, say, well, look, yeah, we detected it, but we didn't do anything about it. And the question is, why not? Either the general just did not understand the nature of this Chinese balloon or his rules of engagement were clearly insufficient to protect the American home. Well, the Pentagon better figure out how to deal with China, according to the man who spoke those words. That was Gordon Chang, author and reporter, and he was talking with Tony Perkins about the Chinese spy balloon, which was clearly, I think as Tom Cotton called it, a trial balloon to see exactly what the American military and the American president would do. Uh, I think by almost all accounts, they failed the test. Joining us now to analyze is Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. Gordon, good morning. Thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm fine, and thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Um, we've all been watching this um, uh, very intently, obviously, and most of us very, very disturbed by the American response to this. You said that in that clip uh, with Tony. Uh, you said that the Pentagon was not prepared to deal with this, either that or the rules of engagement they were given by the commander-in-chief were too vague for them to know what they could or should do. In either case, this does not portend well for us, does it? No, it doesn't. Um, because what the Chinese were able to do was to take a very large object and float it across the United States for eight days. And they surveyed, uh, surveilled some of the most sensitive military sites in the U.S. 
three ICBM missile fields. Matter of fact, all three of them. Um, they went over the headquarters of Strategic Command at Offutt Air Force Base in Omaha, and then they went over Whiteman Air Force Base, which is where our B-2 strategic bombers are. So um, the Chinese learned a lot, but more important, they learned something they could never see any other way, and that is how we would react to an intrusion. And they learned um, how individual general officers reacted and how the military as a whole reacted, and we did not do well. So let, let's talk a little bit about a couple of the tweets that you made, and I encourage people to uh, to follow you on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. I'm looking at your Twitter feed right now, Gordon G. Chang. Um, you talked about the Chinese preparing for war, that they're building up their military at a faster rate than they have since the Second World War, and that they are preparing their citizens for war. What does that mean? It means that this is a whole-of-society approach that they do expect to go into battle. We don't know what's in their minds, but we can see what they're doing. And in addition to that, um, Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, is trying to sanction-proof his mm-hmm. regime. So you have essentially a society that is um, getting ready to wage a war of aggression on somebody, and that somebody probably will be a friend or ally of the United States or even on us directly. So there is at this point um, a lack of preparedness on our part because we're trying to ignore what's going on in China. We have a commander-in-chief who minimized the balloon incident. Um, Although his record on China is not 100% terrible, it certainly is not as robust as it needs to be, and certainly he's not acting with the speed that is absolutely necessary at this moment. We're talking with author Gordon Chang, uh, who has uh, written uh, The Coming Collapse of China. Uh, that, of course, was a bit ago, uh, and now maybe in an attempt to avoid that collapse, they are going to have to take some drastic steps, such as preparing a war. Uh, most people believe that the biggest concern we're going to have maybe in the next two years is that they're going to invade uh, Taiwan. Can you explain to the layperson who doesn't understand the importance of Taiwan to the United States and, quite frankly, to the rest of the world? Well, since um, the 1800s, Americans have drawn their Western defense perimeter off the coast of East Asia, and Taiwan sits at the center of that critical perimeter where the East China Sea and South China Sea meets. Um, something even more important is that they make 92% of the world's made-to-order semiconductors, in other words, the most sophisticated chips. Um, even more important than that, China has been attacking not only our democracy, but the concept of democracies, and we cannot allow the Chinese to absorb any democracy. And even more important than that, since the fall of Afghanistan in August 19, uh, 2021, which was catastrophic. Um, Taiwan has become, in the minds of people around the world, the test of American credibility and resolve. We fail there. We're going to lose our treaty networks in Europe as well as in Asia. So this is all in for the United States. And I'm afraid that the president of the United States and much of the American national security establishment does not fully comprehend the fallout of what could occur. I could not agree more, and I'm glad to hear you put it in those terms. There's so many layers to this, though. I have like 25 follow-up questions. First, the semiconductor issue. Can you can you kind of explain and spell out why that matters? Again, not just the United States, but to the world. What I mean, people may or may not understand how deeply embedded those conductors are into the entire technological world. Everything from our laptops, our smartphones, to our cars, right? Well, 
Yes. And and uh, there's one Taiwan company, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, TSMC, which, as I mentioned, makes 92% of the world's made-to-order chips. Um, these are the most sophisticated chips. Um, and, of course, TSMC makes what are called legacy chips, which are the, the stuff that are in our phones. Um, if Taiwan's um, capacity were either taken over by China or just destroyed, um, we're living in a world which is like the 1960s in terms of technology. No smartphones, no computers, no whatever. So this really is going to be a very different and primitive type of existence. Um, the other, by the way, the other 8% of those most sophisticated uh, chips are made in South Korea, which could also be drawn into a war and which could, that capacity could be destroyed as well. So we're, we're talking about a very different world. I'm going to ask, we're talking to uh, author Gordon Chang. Follow him on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang, uh, author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. Um, people have said online uh, in response to that, what's the big deal? Uh, who cares? We'll make them here. Why can't we make the semiconductors in the same advanced technology in the same numbers and produce them, mass produce them here in the United States? What would that look like? Well, we could. And a matter of fact, we design the world's most sophisticated semiconductors. We just don't make them. But in order to make them, I mean, we're talking, if there were a crash national program, like the one that President Kennedy announced going to the moon, you know, it could take about 10 years for the United States to start to start making those chips. Um, it, this is this is something that the United States doesn't have that manufacturing capacity, and it would take us a long time to figure out how to do this. Um, so we should not have allowed um, all of our uh, semiconductor manufacturing capacity to, or most of it, to leave the U.S. You know, we have the Chips Act, which is one of the good things that President Biden has done. Um, and this puts money into um, uh, building uh, fabs in the United States. Um, but those fabs that are going to be built in the U.S., in Arizona and I think Wisconsin, they're making um, not the most cutting-edge chips. They're making chips that are the legacy ones. Um, and, yes, we need legacy chips. Those are the ones that are in our weapons, for instance, in our phones. But the point is that uh, for the really important stuff, the ones we need for artificial intelligence, for supercomputers and all the rest of it, we're not going to be making those for a very long time. And we have not, we don't have the plans to make them here, even at this moment. It's a it's a striking thing to hear that we are so far behind in that regard that we couldn't make those things if we wanted to. But the other part of that, Gordon, that I think is of great concern is the cost. Let's say we have the ability to mass produce those, you know, the AI, the, the advanced ones, as well as the legacy ones. If we could uh, and wanted to mass produce those, the cost at American wages um, is obviously extraordinary compared to what it is from overseas, particularly China, uh, Korea, and so forth, or Taiwan, it, rather. It, yes, it is. Um, you know, fortunately, when you're talking about uh, a fab... You know, you're talking about a lot of technology, and um, that technology is going to be as cheap here as is elsewhere. But, yes, wage rates here are much higher. And, and you know, it's not just a question of money. We don't have the engineers um, and, and the skilled workers to do this. So, you know, this is, this is a general shortage of labor in the United States right now, and that means um, you just can't make a fab worker just uh, out of uh, putting an ad in a newspaper. This is so important let's ex- for us. 
Let's expand that from the economic front to just uh, all goods manufactured and brought to this country by Asian nations, starting with China. Because, again, you know, a lot of people are just saying, well, who cares if China wants to do that? We'll show them. We'll just stop importing all their goods. I don't think people realize the scale upon which we rely uh, on China for manufacture of things we can do here, but don't because of the cost. Clothing, like I said, shoes. I mean, virtually anything uh, that you uh, pick up in a, in, a, in, a, in a department store or in a, uh, uh, in a Walmart, or something, you're going to flip it over and it's going to say made in China, made in Korea, made in Vietnam, someplace. Why can we not explain that to people who say we don't need to bow to China, we'll just stop taking all their stuff? Well, um, that's a great question and it's an involved answer, but I think that um, we can redirect supply chains away from China. And companies on their own are starting to do that anyway because they can see the geopolitical tension, they can see the anti-foreign policies in China and all sorts of other things. Um, but the President of the United States can use his authority under the International uh, Emergency Economic Powers Act of 1977 to accelerate that process. And there are a lot of things that we can do. You know, we can bring a lot of manufacturing back into the U.S. Um, it'll cost a little bit more, but obviously we need the resiliency because the Chinese threatened to cut us off on things like pharmaceuticals. Um, but there's also a lot of low-end stuff that probably won't be made in the U.S. for a very, very long time. But we can have that made in, for instance, Central America. We've got a border crisis right now, and it's not Mexicans who are coming across that border. It's people from Central America, because those societies have been devastated by the loss of manufacturing to, among other places, China. We have a free trade agreement with the region. It's called CAFTA-DR. And by liberalizing the provisions in CAFTA-DR... We can encourage factories to move to Central America, and that would solve our China problem. It would also clean the air because it would put less carbon to transport goods from Central America to the United States than across the Pacific Ocean. And we'd be securing our southern border because people wouldn't want to be um, coming over here for economic reasons. So we have a lot that we can do by redirecting supply chains. Gordon Chang is our guest. He's a columnist. He's an author. He's a lawyer. Uh, and uh, his Twitter handle is Gordon G. Chang, and you should follow it. I'm going to ask you another question about one of your tweets in a moment, but I, like I said, I had a lot of layers to your previous answer. I want to go back to you mentioned Afghanistan and how we essentially abandoned Afghanistan, wasting 20 years of blood and treasure and giving the uh, nation right back to the Taliban with a healthy supply of American military equipment and munitions and transport vehicles. Um so we have that situation. We have the Ukraine. We have spent over a hundred billion dollars so far sending to Vladimir, or excuse me, to, uh, uh, to Ukraine, to, uh, Zelensky to fight Vladimir Putin. Would the American people have the stomach to fight a proxy war by arming Taiwan to the teeth the same way we did, we are Ukraine right now? And considering again what happened when we sent all of that military equipment over to Afghanistan and where it ended up? Well, let me just start out by saying whether we're prepared or not. We're going to have to because um, we're not driving events these days. It's the Russians and the Chinese and their proxies. Um, and if Vladimir Putin isn't stopped in Ukraine, he, he isn't stopping. Um, he's moving against NATO. Um, and if Xi Jinping sees that we have failed in Ukraine, he will move against Taiwan. So we're not deterring um, the bad actors right now. And we need to start to do that. And this started, um, as you point out, with the catastrophic withdrawal from Afghanistan, because that broke deterrence. Everyone could see that the United States was not capable. 
And the Russians decided that they could move against Ukraine, despite the fact that the United States, the European Union, and Great Britain was a far more powerful coalition that was arrayed against him. But he didn't believe that we had any political will. And that's part because President Biden um, did not make it clear that the United States would stop Russia. Uh, you remember Biden's famous comment about minor incursion might be okay? Yeah. That was a horrible signal. And by the way, uh, just yesterday in Biden's uh, interview with Telemundo, um, we had, oh, the balloon was not a was not a major breach. So we have a really big problem with the messaging from the United States, because although we're a far stronger country, the bad actors don't see it that way because we don't have political will, which means we will be fighting everywhere. And by the way, if we don't fight in Taiwan, we're going to be fighting in Guam, which is sovereign U.S. territory. And we will be fighting in Hawaii, and they will march across the Pacific because the Chinese have told us that. Americans may think that that's ludicrous, but we need to start listening to what the Chinese are saying. We didn't listen to Osama bin Laden, and on one day we lost 2,977 Americans because we decided to be oblivious. That is that is very well said, uh, and that's a great comparison, a sad and tragic one, but it's accurate. Um, I want to come back to the, 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 the war footing in a moment, but let's hit the balloon real quick because, well, first of all, Biden should have hit the balloon real quick. He didn't. But as you point out, um, he said it wasn't a real major threat. As it turns out, it was surveillance. As it turns out, it was intelligence gathering. It wasn't weaponized, but... What if that would have been? What if that balloon, as it made its way across the country, would have been armed with an EMP? Can you explain what that would have done to this country? It would have taken out um, the electric grid. Um, and um, when people don't have electricity, um, they don't survive for very long, in, at least in our society. Um, so really what we would have is a catastrophic event in the United States. Yeah, we... That balloon is big. It can carry a number of different packages. Um, the one that it carried was a surveillance package, but as you point out, it could have been a weapon underneath that. And there could have been various types of weapons that were carried by a balloon of that size. And China has a lot of these balloons. Um, as we heard yesterday in uh, testimony, um, China has had the balloon surveillance in five continents and over 40 countries. So they've got a big fleet of these things. I'm not suggesting we should steal all of our tech from China, but do we have any similar programs? Do we have any kind of equivalency where, you know, fl- you know a balloon uh, or, or other surveillance craft type things that we can put over foreign lands? And what do you think would happen if we had floated one of those over Beijing? They would have shot it down as soon as it crossed into Chinese territory and maybe even before. I completely agree. That's what they would have done. That's what we should have done. Uh, what about the first part of the question, though? Do we have that kind of a program, or is that not part of our... our, our uh... We do not. Okay. Uh, I want to go back to the, the threat of China, and I'm looking again at your Twitter, and I'm just going to read a few of these quickly. <clears throat> we must no longer be afraid of China. We must demand the removal of any American leader or official who has been intimidated into not protecting us. Tweet two, we are Americans. Let's stop being afraid of China's leaders. Tweet three, we're saving America, whether Biden wants to or not. And tweet four, pray for America. We are under attack from all directions. You are all over this, Gordon Chang. Um, the question I have is, is, uh, is our military capable? And do you think the rest of the world's bad actors? You mentioned Putin. You mentioned uh, Xi Jinping, of course. Do you think they are concerned at all about an American military, which it has been public knowledge is, is under uh, recruiting, 
is under retention. Uh, they're not meeting their goals. Uh, there seems to be a lot of disarray with respect to the commander-in-chief giving directives and orders to uh, members of the Pentagon. Do you think that this military is prepared for this quote-unquote coming war with China, and do you think China is afraid of it? Um, China is afraid of the military, but they're not afraid of the political leadership. And a military can't act unless it's directed by the commander-in-chief. Um, the U.S. military, as you point out, is not as strong as it appears. We right. put $850 billion in a year in it, and we're not getting $850 billion of deterrence or firepower. And part of it is because of those political directives, that political objectives are now considered to be more important, social justice and all the rest of it. And um, our guys are not being... Um, you know, they're not spending 100% of their time figuring out how we're going to defend this republic. So as we saw with um, this balloon, we allowed it to drift into the U.S. Yeah, we saw it. Um, but it, did it really matter? No, because this thing traveled unimpeded for eight days across the United States and Canada. That's a failure of um, a political decision to shoot this down. In fairness to the President of the United States, the one thing we should say, and this goes to the question of the military capability, um, if the White House is telling the truth, the White House uh, and the President was not briefed until the fourth day of the incursion. And that's significant because in those uh, four days, this balloon traveled over uninhabited Alaskan and Canadian territory and could have been shot down safely at that time. Um, so the president was notified too late, but the Chinese and the Russians can see whatever the reason is, the U.S. did not protect its airspace. And this is a propaganda thing that the Chinese are going to hammer around the world, that the United States is incapable, as evidenced by our failure and feeble response to the balloon. Uh, you know, I, I'm out of time here, Gordon Chang, but I'm, just a quick follow-up on that. Do you think this has anything to do with, you know, the much-publicized Mark Milley, uh, you know, breaking protocol, going outside the chain of command to tell the Chinese, if Trump fires anything at you, believe me, I will give you warning. In, in other words, is everybody in the United States Pentagon looking out for the United States? Um, yeah, that comment was certainly inappropriate. Um, people have used even more um, harsh language. Mm -hmm. um, people have said it's treasonous. Um, and indeed, uh, notifying an enemy that we're about to defend ourselves, uh, I think, was wrong. I think President Trump should have fired him if he had uh, known about it, which I don't think he did. Um, but clearly what we have here is a senior brass that is acting inappropriately. If Milley thought that the President uh, Trump was incapable of discharging the functions of commander-in-chief, there's something called the 25th Amendment, and he did not invoke it. Invoking the 25th Amendment would have been the appropriate thing for Milley to do. He didn't do it. Yeah, I just cannot help but wonder, again, if that type of mentality, and I agree with you, by the way, I use the stronger words, I would call, tre call it treason what he did, and I wonder if that mindset is what led him to not telling Biden until four days into that incursion of that balloon into U.S. airspace, uh, and then did not shoot it down for another three days after that. Um, I just wonder if there's a connection there. Gordon Chang is, uh, is our guest. He's an author. He's a columnist. Follow him on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang, Gordon G. Chang. Terrific in t uh, insight into all of this, Gordon. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you so much, Bob. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir.
9.58. We'll take our time out here and come back on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420, The Answer. Oh, yes, indeed. Hour number two is underway. It's a free-for-all Friday. Make no mistake about that. But we did have the one interview, and if you would like to respond to it directly, please uh, feel free to do so at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. This is the 10th morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2023. And uh, I do want to get right to your phone calls, but I also want to continue the information that I was sharing that I think is of the utmost importance right now. Um, on a viral report from a whistleblower working at a health clinic, and I use that term very, very loosely, in uh, St. Louis. And the reason I use that loosely is because uh, working at this particular health clinic, you have to uh, take away young children's health. And that's been essentially the the reason for the whistleblower. Uh, I started this at the top of the hour, at the top of the show, rather, at, uh, at 9.10, and so I want to continue it now, and then I'll get to some phone calls. But this is extremely important. Just yesterday, this whistleblower's report went public. Her name is Jamie Reed. She describes herself as a 42-year-old queer woman um, who is married to a trans man, which means another woman who plays dress-up like a man, uh, and has uh, two biological children from a previous marriage and three foster children to adopt. She said her political view is to the left of Bernie Sanders, who, of course, is a socialist. She has been working in this quote-unquote health center to help uh, what she calls gender minorities. Uh, in other words, the LGBTQ community, and in particular, those who are, uh, whose ge- gender identities are at, are at issue, are at question. And in other words, transitioning boys to girls, girls to boys, and so forth. She said she can no longer do this. She said she can no longer do this because she knows what it is now. It is wrong. It is evil. It is alarming. It is morally and medically appalling what is being done to trans kids, all in the name of politics and profit. So I was reading her um, very personal account of what she did and why she did it. <clears throat> And I want to pick that up right now. She said, when she first went to the transgender center, she was struck by the lack of formal protocols for treatment. The center's physician co-directors were the sole authority for everything. At first, the patient population was tipped toward what used to be the traditional instance of a child with gender dysphoria, a boy, quite often very young, who wanted to present as a girl. Until 2015 or so, she said, a very small number of these boys comprised the population of pediatric gender dysphoria cases. Then along the western, or across the Western world, there began to be a dramatic increase in a new population. Teenage girls with no previous history of gender distress suddenly declaring themselves transgender and demanding immediate treatment with testosterone. She said, I saw plenty of this at the center. One of my jobs is to do intake for new patients and their families. When I started, there were probably 10 such calls per month. When I left, there were 50, and about 70% of the new patients were girls. 
sometimes clusters of girls arrive from the same high school. And that's where I left off before the, uh, uh, the interview with Gordon Chang. The obvious point being that clusters of girls don't all have a psychological condition called gender dysphoria that inflicts less than 1% of the population. Clusters of girls get together and team up and decide, let's do it. Let's go do this. Let's go be different. Let's get new names. Let's be a different sex. Let's, uh, uh, you know, kill the hormones inside our body. Let's build new artificial ones inside our bodies. Let's get new pronouns. Let's be a part of the trend. And I'll pick it up. This concerned me, she writes, but didn't feel like I was in a position to sound like some kind of, to sound some kind of alarm back then. There was a team of about eight of us and only one other person brought up the kinds of questions I had. Anyone who raised doubts can run the risk of being called a transphobe. The girls who came to us had many comorbidities, depression, anxiety, ADHD, eating disorders, obesity. Many of them had autism or autism-like symptoms. A report last year on a British pediatric transgender center found that about one-third of the patients referred there were on the spectrum. Frequently, our patients declared they had disorders, so that, had disorders, so no one believed... Let me do that again. Excuse me. Frequently, our patients declared they had disorders that no one believed they had. We had patients who said they had Tourette's syndrome, tic disorders, multiple personalities, but they didn't. The doctors privately recognized these false self-diagnoses as a manifestation of social contagion. They even acknowledged that suicide had an element of social contagion. But when I said that clusters of girls streaming into our service looked as if their gender issues might be a manifestation of social contagion, otherwise known as peer pressure, the doctors said gender identity reflected something innate. To begin transitioning, the girls needed a letter of support from a therapist. It was usually one that we recommended, who they only had to see once or twice to be given the green light. To make it more efficient for the therapist, we offer them a template for how to write letters in support of transition. The next stop was a single visit to an endocrinologist for a testosterone prescription. That's all it took. When a female takes testosterone, the profound and impact, uh, permanent effects of the hormone can be seen in a matter of months. Voices drop. Beards sprout. Body fat is redistributed. Sexual interest explodes. Aggression increases. Mood can be unpredictable. Our patients were told about some side effects, including sterility. But after working at the center, I came to believe that teenagers are simply not capable of fully grasping what it means to make the decision to become infertile while still a minor. Many encounters with patients emphasized to me how little these young people understood the profound impacts changing gender would have on their bodies and minds. But the center downplayed the negative consequences and emphasized the need for transition. As the center's website said, left untreated gender dysphoria has any number of consequences, from self-harm to suicide. But when you take away the gender dysphoria by, by allowing a child to be he, he, to be who he or she is, we're noticing that goes away. The studies will have shown these kids often wind up functioning psychosocially as well as or better than their peers. End quote. There are no reliable studies showing this. None. Indeed, the experiences of many of the center's patients prove how false these assertions are. Here's an example. On Friday, May 1st, 2020, a colleague emailed me about a 15-year-old male patient. Oh dear, I am concerned that the patient does not understand what bicalitumide does. I responded, I don't think that we start anything honestly right now. 
Bicalumetamide uh, is a medication used to treat metastatic, I'm sorry, metastatic prostate cancer. And one of its side effects is that it feminizes the bodies of men who take it, including the appearance of breasts. The center prescribed this cancer drug as a puberty blocker and a feminizing agent for boys. As with most cancer drugs, bicalumetamide has a long list of side effects, and this patient experienced one of them, liver toxicity. He was sent to another unit of the hospital for evaluation and immediately taken off the drug. Afterward, his mother sent an electronic message to the transgender center saying that we were lucky her family was not the type to sue. How little patients understood what they were getting into was illustrated by a call we received in 2020 from a 17-year-old female patient who was on testosterone. She was bleeding from the vagina. In less than an hour, she had soaked through an extra heavy pad, her jeans, and a towel she had wrapped around her waist. The nurse at the center told her, go to the emergency room right away. We found out later this girl had had intercourse, and because testosterone thins the vaginal tissue, her vaginal canal had ripped open. She had to be sedated and given emergency surgery to repair the damage. Other girls disturbed by the effects of testosterone and I don't want to get into too much more of that stuff because it's obviously very uh, specific and, 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 and uh, uh, difficult to, to listen to. I'll fast forward. Besides teenage girls, another new group was referred to us, young people from the inpatient psych unit or the emergency department of St. Louis Children's Hospital. The mental health of these kids was already deeply concerning. Diagnoses of schizophrenia, PTSD, bipolar disorder, and more In other words, kids who were in no way, shape, or form prepared to make mental decisions about their long-term gender identity. They were mentally impaired. And these are the people that were sent to the transgender clinic to start on gene, or excuse me, on uh, hormone therapy to change their entire body identity. No matter how much suffering or pain a child had endured, no matter how little treatment they had received, our doctors said transition was the solution, including to these kids with, with psychological disorders. For example, one teenage came in the summer of 2022, 17 years old, living in a lockdown facility because he had been sexually abusing dogs. He had an awful childhood. His mother was a drug addict, father in prison, grew up in foster care. Whatever treatment he he might have been getting wasn't working. During our intake, I learned from another caseworker that when he got out, he planned to go reoffend because he believed the dogs had willingly submitted. Somewhere along the way, he decided expressed a desire to become female, so he ended up being seen at our center. From there, he went to a psychologist at the hospital that was known to approve anyone seeking transition. Then our doctor recommended feminizing hormones. At that time, I wondered if this was being done as a form of chemical castration. There are more stories that I could read to you uh, to go on about the insanity of this. But at the end of the day, this trans hospital worker, who is a far left a left of Bernie Sanders, she described herself, gender queer woman who's married to another woman who thinks that person's a man, said she could no longer do this. She knew what they were doing was and continues to harm children. Children at very vulnerable stages of their preformative development of their minds. And what is being done to them is wrong. It's medically and morally wrong. 
I'll close with her close. Given the secrecy and lack of rigorous standards that characterize youth gender transition across the country, I believe that to ensure the safety of American children, we need a moratorium on the hormonal and surgical treatment of young people with gender dysphoria. In the past 15 years, according to Reuters, the U.S. has gone from having no pediatric gender clinics to more than 100. A thorough analysis should be undertaken to find out what has been done to their patients and why and what the long-term consequences are. There is a clear path for us to follow. Just last year, England shut down the Tavistock Center, the only youth gender clinic in their country, after an investigation revealed shoddy practices and poor patient treatment. Sweden and Finland, too, have investigated pediatric transition and greatly curbed the practice, finding there's insufficient evidence of help and danger of great harm. Some critics describe the kind of treatment offered at places like the Transgender Center where I worked as a national experiment. But that's wrong. Experiments are supposed to be carefully designed. Hypotheses are supposed to be tested ethically. The doctors I worked alongside at the Transgender Center said frequently about the treatment of our patients, we're building the plane while we're flying it. No one should be a passenger on that kind of an aircraft. All right. So that's the end of it. And I'll, and I'll underscore before I take a time out here and then go to phone calls, the reason for sharing it. This went viral yesterday. This was discussed on, uh, on, uh, uh Fox News last night. It's, she's going to be all over the place. She's blowing the whistle on the fact that this is being done experimentally. As she said, they're flying the, pl- they're building the plane as they're flying it and they're using these kids as the models. They're using these kids to kind of figure out what works and doesn't work. Moreover, they're doing it for money. They're doing it for profit. They had those templates made out for therapists to fill out and say, yes, we approve of and I recommend transgender uh, transitioning or gender transitioning. Let me rephrase. I recommend this for this patient's well-being, blah, 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 blah. And then how much do they charge for the hormones, the chemical castration, the surgeries, the aftercare? Because this is one thing that people who have uh, who have detransitioned, those who were let down by the adults in their lives that allowed them or encouraged them to change into whoever it is that they want to be, be the butterfly on the other side of your current cocoon, they say. And then when they become adults and they realize what a horrible, horrible mistake they, they have made and they try to detransition, they will tell you that anybody who undergoes any of these types of procedures becomes a lifelong medical patient. Literally, lifelong. There is constant, constant upkeep that is necessary. Medications, medical procedures, surgeries, particularly if you go all the way and have healthy organs removed and then have healthy flesh cut from your body to fashion artificial genitalia for you and the images of that are all over the place and everywhere and easily available the things that are done uh, to gen- to mutilate these people to create fake genitalia this is what's being done to kids adults I suppose can do what they want I would still hope that there would be a moratorium as this particular former healthcare worker in the trans clinic said i would hope there's a moratorium on this for everybody until more studies can be done and more 
uh, in t- more attempts to deal with the psychological condition of somebody with actual gender dysphoria, much less those who are following up on the social contagion, who are caught up in the trendiness of it all. I would hope that there is a moratorium on it for everybody. But I demand a moratorium on it for children. I demand it. And every decent, concerned human being in the United States of America, be they man or woman, and there are only two, everyone should demand that. Children cannot be allowed to make decisions like this, and parents and adults should not make those decisions for them. Let them grow up as who and what they are. Let them decide when they're adults if they want to do anything with their bodies. This story, by the way, is uh, obviously national and international in its scope, but there are events going on right in our own neighborhoods, right in our own backyards, that are are not not loosely but but actually very closely related to this story and that is the ongoing attempt to influence kids to want to become something else by parading grown men in female clothing usually lingerie you notice how no drag queens ever come to story hour dressed like mrs doubtfire right they come dressed in sexual perverted uh clothing and attire and then they perform for kids and show them how you don't have to be whatever you are you can be whatever you want to be and you should be like me that kind of stuff is happening like i said it's happening everywhere but it's including in northeast ohio and there's a planned event on march 11th in wadsworth that is kind of the epicenter of a storm about this this is grooming and recruiting kids into that sexually deviant lifestyle the kind that eventually have them in clinics like the one this particular hero jamie reed whistleblower just wrote about and it's up to every one of us i think to help stop that i'll be right back Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. 1037 now, always right radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Free for all Friday uh, is in full effect. 216-901-0945. What do you want to hit? What do you want to talk about? Story I just told you, conversation I had with Gordon Chang, which was quite frankly terrific and alarming at the same time. Something off the grid. Why don't you give me a Super Bowl prediction? I don't care. Your t- your choice. That's what free for I free for all rather Friday is all about. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Let's go to Cleveland and talk to AC. Uh, Cleveland, thanks. Or, gosh, I'm all over the place today. You're not Cleveland. You're AC. You're in Cleveland, and now you're on the air. Go ahead, AC. Right. Uh, I'm going to make a very controversial statement. Okay. And going back to what you said Monday, remember on Monday you said, what would you do if you were a parent and you had a young man in your family, a son, and we went to war with China? Okay? Yes. Okay. And you, ha- I caught the last 10 minutes of Gordon Chang's um, interview. Okay? Now I'm going to make a very controversial statement here. Don't, and I'm going to prove it from history. All right. And current events. Don't expect a troops-on-the-ground war with China on foreign soil. And I'm going to tell you why. Okay. 
In World War II, we fought the Japanese. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that we needed the Japanese for, as far as products, was rubber. Rubber at that time was harvested naturally from rubber trees in the Dutch East Indies and Malaysia. What the Japanese did at the very beginning of World War II is they cut off our rubber supply and the rubber supply for anybody else. What did we do? We immediately developed synthetic rubber, and we overcame the problem. Okay? But the situation with China is vastly different. China makes tools, motors, clothes, electronic components, components for military systems, including boots. This situation is unprecedented. All China needs to do, if we decide to go in with the troops on the ground war, let's say with Taiwan, with your scenario where they invade Taiwan, all China has to do is order an embargo on all the products that they produce for us. What are we going to do? Well, there's a couple of things to consider there. Number one, I don't think I agree with you. I don't think we would in any hurry be having our boots on the ground in Taiwan to defend them. That's why when I talked to Gordon, I talked about, you know, kind of what we're doing in Ukraine right now, and that's fighting the proxy war. We're going to arm the Taiwanese right. to the teeth to be able to defend themselves and try to hold off because so much of what we rely on, which Gordon Chang also talked about, isn't from China, the things that we can't replicate on the scale that, um, uh, you know, that we would need to, they're from Taiwan, which is why the invasion of, an invasion of Taiwan by, uh, the Chinese communists would be so devastating to us and every other advanced developed country in the world, uh, because so much of that comes from, Chi- uh, from, uh, Taiwan. So what we would do is defend Taiwan by helping Taiwan in the same way, but probably, uh, more so than we are with Ukraine. So that, that's the first part, I think. The second part is, I've had a lot of people, and I even asked Gordon about that, about why don't we, you know, uh, just cut off everything that China sends us. You're saying it in reverse. What if China cuts us off of everything that they provide for us? Exactly. I think the answer as to why it would never happen is is, is because of the damage it would do, do to both sides. In other words, we import more Chinese goods than anybody else in the world. If they cut us off, guess what they've done? They've cut off their nose to spite their face. We're their biggest customer. We provide them with billions upon billions of dollars a year in commerce. We give China money, but they don't send us that stuff for free. If they stop sending it to us, that means they stopped receiving money in return for it. That does not help them. So in the same way that I, you know, I, I, this is what I asked Gordon. I said, hey, a lot of people said to me, why don't we just tell uh, China we're not buying any more of your stuff. We'll make our own stuff here. And the answer is, well, there's a reason why we buy it in the first place. Economically, um, it, it, it benefits us to buy it at the cheap labor wages of the Chinese and import it here than it is to make it in American union factories and pay union wages to make all of those things here. We need cheap Chinese goods for our economy, and they need their biggest customer in the world for their economy, which is why this, this weird relationship between us continues the way it is. But, Bob, who has the greater advantage? I don't know. You tell me. Well, where they, where the, how are they going to make how are they going to make the billions per year in in, in uh, you know and, and not to mention what is the trade imbalance? It's less than it was before Trump. 
We know right? that when Trump, you know, put those embargoes on Chinese goods, and and then China responded with embargoing a lot of American uh, products too, and including produce and so forth. And it went back and forth for a while. But the bottom line is, it was cut precipitously the massive trade imbalance, but it's still there, and 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 China benefits from that. They had they have a massive massive advantage over us. So I. I, I don't know that I can give you a clean answer as to who who has the advantage here. They need us as much as we need them. I really believe that, AC. But in but in a wartime situation, if we decided to go in with any significant amount of help for the scenario here, Taiwan, and they threatened an embargo, who do you think would back down? Let's look at the balloon situation. They sent a balloon over our nation. And we did nothing about we, it. We backed down, essentially, right? I mean, that's that's pretty exactly. much what we did. No, no, that's that's very, very true. Uh, so, great point, my friend, a great conversation. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Um, God willing, it doesn't come to pass. God willing, we don't have to make a decision like this. Um, and God willing, we don't have to arm Taiwan to the teeth and everything else, because we are literally talking about what are most world wars fought over? Like most of us know, you know, uh, obviously we were, we didn't go into, we didn't go into World War II in the European theater, um, you know, for the purposes of saving Jews and stopping the Nazi rampage through uh, Europe when it started, did we? We didn't. We only went there after we were bombed by Japan and we entered the war, the, the Pacific theater. Then we said, okay, now we'll join the Brits and our other allies in trying to stop Hitler. So it's not always just the right thing to do to save people Then we go to war. Otherwise, we'd be doing it right now. We'd be in war with China already over what they're doing to the Muslim Uyghurs. You know what they're doing to the Muslim Uyghurs? The same thing Hitler did to the Jews. The world said never again after the Holocaust, rightfully so, but the world hasn't kept that promise because, in this case, it's not Jews. It's Uyghur Muslims. And they are being put into concentration camps, slave labor camps, and death uh, uh, camps. That's literally going on. They're killing millions. And the rest of the world yawns and says, give me those cheap Nikes. Give me those cheap jeans, the cheaper products that we can fill up our Walmarts with because it costs too much to make them here. So we don't always do things for the right reason. Sometimes we do things solely for money. Sometimes we war only over the economic cost or benefit for us. And if we end up having to, uh, you know, come come to battle, you know, a battlefront essentially with the Chinese, it's not going to be over ideology. It's going to be over money. It's going to be over what we would be losing from China taking over Taiwan and halting the production of the semiconductors that Gordon Chang talked about, and other tech that the world relies upon, including the United States. We'd be at war over what it would do to our economy more than anything about ideology or stopping the slaughter of innocents. That's the reality of, of war, at least in, the, in this age. Olmstead Falls next. Um, Sal, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go right ahead, sir. Hi, Bob. Thank Hi, you Sal. very much for taking my call. Certainly. I just wanted to touch base with you um, on the flag uh, that you spoke about, um, how you play the um, uh, the flag um, and ask everybody to stand in the morning. Oh, the pledge, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you know, uh, 
I think that that's great that you do that. I think that it can be looked at as generic from outside. But if you really, like, here's what I do. I stand up and I really focus on the flag and I really focus on the word. And it, it makes me think and, and be very grateful for the country that we live in. Um, and I think more people should do it. And, and I'm glad that you do it. And I think that um, it's different and uh, it needs to happen more. Well, Sal, I appreciate that, uh, and uh, I agree with you. You know, I was gifted a flag, a beautiful piece of art. Um, it, it's metal. Uh, it's it's glossy, you know, stained or painted or produced or whatever. I don't even know what to call it. <clears throat> and um, it has the uh, the pledge stenciled in all of the white stripes on the on the flag. And um, it, so it, so it's like stamped metal. It's cut out metal. Again, I, I don't know the, how to describe the manufacturer of it, but I have it up in front of me. It's in front of my uh, my uh, uh, studio console here, uh, and it's got, like I said, the pledge actually stenciled into it. So when I do the pledge every day, when I play it for you guys, I look up at that, and I read the words right along with it, even though we have them all memorized. It does. It makes you kind of, uh, I don't know, um, gives you a little bit more deeper introspection when you see the word republic, when you see the words under God, when you see the words liberty and justice, you see them, I don't know, it just does something. And so I, I'm with you. I like to concentrate on the words, and I like to concentrate on the flag. That's why I ask people not just to say it with me, but face a flag if you have one. And I love that so many people do. So I appreciate that. Well, thank you very much, and you keep up the good work, Bob. Thank you. Appreciate it, Sal. Good call. Uh, well, it was a good call, I guess, because it was nice to me. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't certainly mean it's a good call because you were nice to me, but it's it's a good point. And by the way, I'll, not to belabor the point, but um, people had been, well, I still had my website up and running, which was uh, alwayswrite.us, and when the domain ended, I, uh, I uh, non-renewed it because I want to change it up and I want to do some different things on a new site that I'm working on. But... Um, I had people sending me so I could post them on my Always Right website of their flags. This is what they pledge to every day. And I love the ingenuity and the creativity of people. Because when they come, you know, they listen to the program every day. And when I say, let's face our flag, and if they're in a position where they don't have one, they get mad. And so they have one in various places, including the little flags that are on like uh, almost like a cocktail straw length type of stick. You know, those that you can just put in like a, a Dixie cup or something like that. They put it on their windowsill in their kitchen. You know, if people are uh, listening to the radio uh, in the house at that time, others have put stickers, postage stamps of a flag and other things like that on the dashboard of their car. Um, people just, they're so creative. They just send me pictures all the time. This is what I look at when I say my pledge every day with you. Um and that's just awesome. I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. It just it means an awful lot to me. I didn't. I didn't do it for that reason when we first started doing it. But I love that people have embraced it so much. So thanks, Sal. TJ next. Hey, TJ, you're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Yeah. Hi, Bob. You know, first I want to make one point about the Second World War. You know, after Pearl Harbor, we did not go to war with uh, Germany. They declared war on us shortly after, and that's when we got involved. So just to clear that one up. Okay. But the other point I, I wanted to make was, you know, NORAD... But, but you know what, TJ? Let's explore that for a moment. What what did it mean for Germany to declare war on us because we had just been drawn into uh, uh, the war with Japan? They weren't coming to the United States. They weren't anywhere near that. They would have had to make their way all the way through Europe and then find a way uh, to reach us uh, to actually, quote-unquote, make war on America. They were making war on American allies. They were making war on, you know, American interests in Europe, clearly. But 
it still didn't it is it wasn't something that deserved or warranted our response simply because germany said that that was the time that we decided to go in uh obviously and we had let the the beginnings of the holocaust work for two years to 1939 to 1941 we didn't do a thing don't forget germany was an ally of japan <clears throat> and when we declared war on japan that's when Hitler declared war on the United States. But I think and, that and my point being, though, that's that when we that's when we declared that's when we declared war on them, though. I mean, because you're right. Yes, they were allies of, of, of Japan. Um, and, but that's my point. I mean, it didn't take Hitler's declaration of war because you know what, again, what were they going to do? What were they going to do to us from their vantage point and where they were at that particular moment? They didn't have ICBMs, you know, uh, in, in, in the Second World War. They weren't going to reach the, the United States anyway. So well, their, their, their declaration with, of war on us was simply a, a kind of a in support, if you will, or in coordination or collaboration with the Japanese. But yeah. it's our decision to actually go and finally, because, you know, how long had Churchill been asking us to come and help? Right, and the mood of the American people back then was we don't want to get involved in Europe after the First World after War. After the first one, right. Bingo. Yeah. And, and they did reach us. Bob, they sunk, I think, what was it, 600 ships in our harbors with their submarines on the East Coast? I mean, that, that's a fact. I just, okay, you know, okay, yeah, the, fair point. Yeah, fair point, yeah. fair point. But the, but the yeah. call I, reason I called, <clears throat> you know, NORAD is supposed to be a partnership between America and Canada uh, to defend the North American continent. Now, Joe Biden dropped the ball with this balloon. But how come nobody's looking at Trudeau and his administration? Didn't that balloon travel quite a bit over Canadian airspace? And he did yes. nothing. He yes, did it absolutely did. absolutely nothing. And nobody's saying anything about well, Trudeau. Well, some people have. Some people have questioned that. Some people have said, where's Canada? Where was Canada? Why didn't they shoot it down first? Why didn't they at least call you know, the, the, the Pentagon and say, hey, if this is something that's over us right now. It's probably going to be coming over Alaska. It's probably going to be coming down over your lower 48. Uh, you know, do, do you want to do something? Do you want us to do something? A lot of people have criticized this. But you know what's truthful, truthful here, uh, TJ, is nobody expects Trudeau to do anything. Trudeau has become a dictator. Trudeau has taken free Canada and turned it into a very, very different place now. And no way, shape, or form was he going to do anything that might cross the Chinese and put them in Chinese crosshairs the way we are. People criticize Trudeau, but just nobody expected anything. That's why everybody kind of yawned. We should be more selective than who we pick for allies, it looks like. I don't think we can count on the Canadians. No, no. And, you know, we used to be able to. We used to be able to, and maybe there will be a time again when they get rid of this guy uh, and, 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 and you know change their entire uh, leadership. But but he has made it very, very clear. I mean, for crying out, he doesn't believe in freedom. You saw what he did to the uh, Canadian truckers during that strike. You saw what he did to the people uh, with, uh, with the mandates there uh, that were far worse than even the mandates here with respect to COVID. They are a full-on you know uh, authoritarian type of nation now with Trudeau at the helm, and he doesn't have any interest in whatsoever in, in wars, and he doesn't want to get in. The, in the way of, uh, uh, you know, like I said, of China. If China's got beef with us, they're going to stay. They're going to make it very clear. Hey, don't bother us. We're out of this thing. So I don't think they're. I don't think we can count on them at all. No, I guess we can't. I mean, thank you, TJ. Off. Appreciate you call, my friend. Good, good conversation. But yeah, I mean, it's amazing how many times in history we look and you know we didn't go to war for the right reason. Sometimes we wait until there's a financial or a, an economic reason. And I'm telling you. Right now, our concern, if we go to battle with China in any way, it isn't going to be the right reasons. It isn't going to be able to stop communism. It isn't going to be to stop the concentration camp and murders of, of all of those Uyghurs. 
Um, it's going to be to protect our economy. It's going to be to make sure that Taiwan is able to continue to produce, mass produce, those uh, semiconductors and chips that um, uh, that we rely on so much. That's a big, if not the driving, the overwhelming driving factor, I believe. All right, it's 10.55, right back. Always Right Radio. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward into hour number three, nine minutes after 11 o'clock on this free-for-all Friday. It is the 10th morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Thanks so much for being with us. Phone lines are open at 216-901-0945, Let me share this. Josh Hawley, conservative senator from Missouri, responding to the viral whistleblower publication yesterday from the um, uh, former clinician at the Trans Medical Center in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, by saying this, quote, this is a sickening account of forced sterilization and child abuse happening in Missouri at an institution that receives federal taxpayer funds. Today, my office is launching an investigation. Missouri children deserve to be protected. Can you dig it? I don't know what the outcome is going to be for uh, for uh, of this investigation, but if it has any teeth at all, it will indeed ensure that this hospital, if we can even call it that, when people when people staff a building wearing white coats, cutting off healthy organs off of young, confused, and uh, distressed kids' bodies, they are not doctors, and therefore it doesn't deserve the title hospital or the description of a clinic or medical center. But whatever you want to call it, if they lose their federal funds, that is, uh, that's only step one. That's something that should be a given. That must happen. Now, uh, if you want to talk about that, we'll take your calls at 216-901-0945. Now, speaking of elected officials like Josh Hawley, but not exactly Josh Hawley, if I were to say to you that there is one prominent conservative elected official in government that has just declared all hiring within his purview will be done based on merit and without any consideration given to D-I-E. Diversity, inclusion, equity. What official do you think that would be? 
Um, if you think it's Joe Biden, then you are a crack smoker and you should check yourself into a clinic immediately. If you think Governor Ron DeSantis, you'd be close because that's what I would have guessed had I already not known the answer to my own question. But the answer is Governor Greg Abbott in Texas made an announcement yesterday. D.I.E. is not welcome. Not only is it not welcome, it is forbidden for being used when hiring for state agencies in Texas or by universities. Basically, anyone that receives Texas federal, uh, Texas uh, dollars cannot discriminate against somebody who is a non-D.I.E. or a non-social justice cause um, in favor of, uh, or excuse me, uh, as opposed to somebody who is deserving of a spot based on merit. Keep your woke DIE initiatives, says Greg Abbott. In Texas, the governor thinks people must be hired on merit, not skin color, and not quotas. Top aide in Governor uh, Abbott's office signed a memo stating it is now illegal. This is a big difference. This isn't, hey, we're promoting merit over DIE. This is if you hire somebody who is less qualified than somebody else simply because of the tone of their skin, their identification with a personality disorder, their sex, their sexual orientation and who they like to sleep with, or anything associated with D.I.E., if you choose somebody simply because you don't have enough people who look or look like that around and you feel like there's a quota in that the makeup of your department or your university should reflect that of the community and you reject somebody who has a better case for being hired that has more uh, uh, merit, if you will, for the job, there will be consequences. Illegal. This is a bigger step. Not many have taken. It will be illegal for state agencies and universities to consider diversity, inclusion, and equity in employment. Any deference to forbidden DIE initiatives violate anti-discrimination laws by favoring, quote, some demographic group to the detriment of others. In the statement, the memo, quote, As Texans, we celebrate the diversity of our state and the presence of a workforce that represents our rich culture. In recent years, however, the innocuous-sounding notion of DIE, diversity, inclusion, and equity, has been manipulated to push policies that expressly favor some demographic groups to the detriment of others. Indeed, rather than increasing diversity in the workplace, these DIE initiatives are having the opposite effect and are being advanced in ways that proactively encourage discrimination in the workplace. Illegally adding DIE requirements as a screening tool in hiring practices or using DIE as a condition of employment leads to the exclusion and alienation of individuals from the workplace. In other words, just because you're discriminating against white people or men doesn't mean it isn't discrimination. It is, and it will now be illegal. Can you dig it? Yes, I can. Identity box checking is a form of discrimination, too. Hiring on merit is the way to get the most qualified employee, which should be the goal, not filling quotas. We already did that one. It was called affirmative action. It was a mixed bag at best. 
This memo that was sent uh, to the Employees Retirement System of Texas was a one-page letter. Other letters were sent to other agencies illustrating the same guidance and the same law or the same order. DIE initiatives also are not to be used when starting a new department or office in state agencies. That memo is characterized uh, as characterized says the same thing. Discrimination shall not be allowed. And I, I am quite frankly stunned that this is a news item. I'm stunned that this needs to happen. I'm stunned that this needs to be something that a governor must order, that it isn't already being carried out in American free society today. Discrimination based on race or based on sex or based on sexual orientation or attraction or or personality disorders or choices should be illegal. You can't discriminate against a white person any more than you can discriminate against a black person or a brown person, or any number of other ethnic uh, or uh, um, uh, ethnicities. And I don't care if they come from Asia, from Europe, from Africa, from Australia. I don't care what part of the world they come from. No one should be dis- discriminated against based on their participation or their, in, or their um, uh, membership of a particular group based on their particular, uh, um, what's the word, demographics. You just can't do it. If you are going to deny a straight person who is more highly qualified for a job in favor of hiring a gay person or a trans person or a fill-in-the-blank here person because you want to bring D.I.E. to your office, to your company, you want to bring a more diverse and inclusionary type of, of uh, you know workforce in play, put that in place, you would be violating the law. You shouldn't need this in Texas to be a, a, you know spelled out. It's already a part of the law. Um, one law school said the memo demonizes DIE, conflating it with illegal hiring quotas. Quote, he's characterizing DIE as something it never purported to be. He's using the memo to characterize it as something unlawful and rigid where it is really aspirational and fluid. It cannot be aspirational nor fluid. It has to be very specific. No one gets selected based on what they look like. That's it. No one gets hired based on what they look like. In the same way, nobody should be rejected because of what they look like. And if you're a straight, white, Catholic male... You should have just as much access to a job as a queer, black, and brown, biracial, trans, furry, female thing. And it might make you feel better to say, look how inclusive we are when we gave the trans, furry, black, queer, this, that, the other thing a job. It might make you feel more inclusionary, and that's great. Good for you. But you've also violated the law. If you gave them that job because you wanted to color up the uh, the uh, staff, or in the case, and we've seen this countless numbers of times, and the cases continue to go on in uh, college admissions, because you're trying to diversify the campus. If you turn away a an Asian, for example, who is far more highly qualified to have a spot in a freshman class, or a spot on a board, or a spot on a staff, simply because you have too many Asians already. We need to diversify the campus, diversify the staff, diversify, diversify the warehouse, diversify the, uh, the food prep area, or wherever it is you're hiring these people to work. If you choose people based on what they look like to the detriment of somebody else based on what they look like, you are breaking the law. It is just that simple. Aspirational and fluid. 
This is this is what we're fighting. So it's sad that it had to be done, but kudos to Greg Abbott for doing it. Joanne in Twinsburg, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go right ahead. Uh, Hi, Bob. There she is. I'm here. Gotcha. Well, not the reason I called, but I got to comment on what you just said. Okay. You know, this is why we can't land a plane, why we shut down things, why our doctors are mutilating our kids, because we're teaching society instead of science. We don't have the best of the best in anything anymore. I mean, we're, we're choosing people based on what we think they are or what they think they are instead of on what they can do. I mean, this whole thing. But that's not why I called. Okay, why'd you call? <laughs> the real reason I called is, you know, we're talking about this China, Taiwan. Actually, I think Ukraine's part of it, too. You know, we're talking about arming Taiwan to the teeth. We're giving tanks to Ukraine that they're not going to get for a couple of years. They're saying we're depleting our own supplies. How are we going to arm Taiwan or defend ourselves? I don't get it. I mean, is this part of China, you know, they saw what we were doing in Ukraine and said, hey, let's get them to get rid of all their weapons, and then they're a piece of cake. I mean, you know, it's just bad decision after bad decision. I don't understand. How are well, we supposed you, to defend you ourselves? Combine. Yeah, we, well, we can't. And that's what they were testing with that balloon. They wanted to see exactly what we would do. Would we be aggressive in response to their aggression? Because that would indicate, in, in, in this is, I think, every every military strategist is, is you know, surmising this this way. If we act with aggression toward their aggression, we have a little bit more confidence in our military than they think we do. If we act passively in the face of their aggression, we don't have uh, much confidence, and we're a little bit afraid to do something that might anger the Chinese. Well, for eight days, we sent message messages that said we are passively responding. We are going to wait till it's finished with its job, until it's out over the sea to take it down. Uh, and therefore, we have submitted to them uh, some evidence that we are not prepared and we are not desirous of any kind of a clash with China. And the fact that we are already invaded or involved in this proxy war with Russia by way of arming the the Ukrainians, um, and, and they see what a divisive effect that there is on that in this country, I think they have all of the evidence they need. It's probably why Gordon Chang said that China is preparing for war, because the United States does not have either the appetite or the economy or the military infrastructure right now for that war. I you know, think and then they, the I think they have our number. Into our military too. I mean, we're more worried about that than fighting a war. Of course I don't we are. Get it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, I mean, the whole Diversity thing over is so backwards to me, Bob. I just don't understand. I no, wish you do understand would have it. Called you'd... after me because I'd love to hear his take. <laughs> you do understand it very well, Joanne. You just don't like it, and neither do I. Uh, thanks so much for the call. I appreciate it. Yeah, we all understand this. We are not on a strong war footing if we need to be. We do not have, quite frankly, the infrastructure right now, despite the $800 billion um, uh, military budget, we don't have the infrastructure in terms of manpower, in turn, and we don't have the, we, frankly, we don't have the will. We don't have the will or the appetite to do anything to defend our allies right now. Uh, let's go to uh, Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Woods in Medina. I wonder if there's a McFan meeting tomorrow. I'm going to guess yes. Hey, Lisa, how are you? Yes. <laughs> I'm well, thanks. Good morning. Yeah, we do have a meeting tomorrow. We we will have uh, Congressman Max Miller speaking um, at the Thirsty Cowboy, and we're starting at a kind of a new time now. We're going to start at nine o'clock instead of eight thirty. What do you think you, of that? I think your cocktail approves. 
<laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> is it's, it, it's, is it's it a, a cockatiel? Quaint, that's a it's a Quaker parrot, Bob. Quaker parrot. Okay, close enough. Yeah. I, th- I think your Quaker parrot approves. Yeah, and, you know, I'm, sh- <laughs> I'm sure that'll be nice for people. I, uh, I hope I didn't force that when I spoke a few weeks ago and I said, you know, I almost rolled over, went back to bed, and called in sick. It was too early to get up in the cold. <laughs> but but uh, maybe this will be better for folks to come in uh, just a little bit later. And uh, you got a great, great guest to uh, to debut the new time with, uh, Congressman Miller. I had him on last week. We'll have him on again this Wednesday. Uh, is very, very busy. And he is hitting the ground running in uh, in Washington. He is, and he's making himself so accessible to us as well by coming to speaking. You know, on your show at McFan and other places, he has an office right on the Medina Public Square now, and he also has one in Parma, as well as D.C. Of course, right. So, and you know, if anyone visits D.C., it is so wonderful to con- con- uh, contact your congressman and set up tours because they are really good at that of course i haven't tried that with max yet but i have with with renacy and and bob gibbs um it's just fantastic and it's uh, some people just don't know that that they can and should do that yeah that's why we call it the people's house you know i mean it's supposed to be our ability to go in there and have a look and see how our government runs get these guided tours and you know in the places you're allowed to be obviously and uh it is a great thing and i'm sure he'll be more than accommodating with his staff uh for that as well so uh so tomorrow morning at the thirsty cowboy max miller at mcfan uh with a new time right that's right, 9, 9 a.m. Uh, hope, hope you guys uh, come out that are listening and hear Max. I think uh, Sharon Ray also is going to give us a, a brief, um, just a, a little update on what's going on at the Ohio House as well. All right. It sounds like a good time, and it sounds like a great place to be tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock in Medina. Lisa, always a pleasure. Thanks for the call. Thank you. You got it. Let's go to BJ North Olmstead next. Hi, BJ. You're on the air. Thank you, Bob. I, before I get to my point, I don't know if other seniors are getting, I get 10 to 15 calls about buying insurance or final expenses on my phone constantly, and there's no way to put a block on it. I've tried several times, and it's, 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 I don't know why it's being allowed by the Attorney General in the state of Ohio that's allowing all these harassing calls. I feel sorry for people that are uh, invalids and have to get up or try and get to their phone. It's shameful. What I'd like to bring up is what the uh, FBI is targeting parents and calling them terrorists because they rise up in their schools. This kind of thing that's starting in our country is to, is to promote a revolution that I've discussed on your program before. It's sad to see how our government is arming itself against its own people and calling parents that are raising issues terrorists and this is going to become a major issue and in addition that i brought up before the bank raised the interest rates and if it provokes a depression it's going to provoke a very 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 hostile country and i fear for that as optimistic as i've been in the past i have a lot of fear for what the american public is going to have to deal with and we're and they're going to have to be stepping out the points you're making are very very valid and the anger of your voice about some of this behavior is valid. And God bless you, young people. I hope you have the stamina to fight for the rights of this country. Thank you for your time. Yep, that's what it takes. My Thank you for the call, BJ. That's what it takes. Stamina, it does. Uh, it's a long game. It's a long fight, and this is a very, very crucial moment in it. And uh, hopefully we will have the, uh, uh, the, uh, the guts, if you will, uh, to see the last round. 1127, right back after the news, always right radio.
hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. 11.35, final segment of Always Right Radio. We're going to take you until 45, and then we're going to let Bill O'Reilly finish it off and take us to the top of the hour. He gets you some Charlie Kirk, gets you some Dennis Prager, gets you some uh, Dr. G, gets you some Seculo, gets you some Tatum, and just uh, gets you some knowledge all day long right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, got time for a couple more here if uh, we want to do that. How about Brexville? And Jerry on AM 1420, The Answer. Hello, Jerry. Fire away, sir. I'm doing, I'm hanging in there, Bob. <laughs> I like your best, Good man. You're doing a hell of a job. Keep it up. Thank you. But I friend. wanted to say the only thing we have to fear is a lying, incompetent president <clears throat> and an unqualified vice president. And I also think that this Josh Hawley, he would make a, a great president. He's intelligent. He's got the guts for it, and he's young. And I wish Trump would quit bashing the other Republican runner-ups and just concentrate on what he's going to do. That's all I have to say today, Bob. Thanks Jerry, for my thank call. Jerry, thank you. You got it. Thank you for making the call. I appreciate that. I like Josh Hawley a lot, too. I think he's got a very so young, so intelligent, so... Uh, uh, I think devout in his beliefs, not just uh, faith-wise, but uh, ideologically, and I think he would be a great, great candidate for higher office in a, uh, you know, in the future. I do. Yeah, he's a he's a senator and he is a star on the rise. I think in the conservative circles, and I agree with what you just said about Trump too. I haven't talked enough about it this week, but and I know this ticks off some listeners who are just avid avid President Trump supporters. But he's harming himself, and he's harming Republicans, and he's harming Ron DeSantis, and he's harming the brand when he does things like this. He's treating Ron DeSantis, who is not even a rival of his yet, because Ron DeSantis has not declared for president. He's treating Ron DeSantis the way the left treated Brett Kavanaugh, and that's reprehensible. It's inexcusable. It's indefensible. And I don't care if you are a supporter of President Trump's or not. You have to acknowledge that suggesting that he's a groomer because he posed in a picture with some of his high school students when he was teaching them back in his early 20s, suggesting he's grooming them for some sort of nefarious purpose or another, not suggesting it, outright saying it on a couple of different messages on Truth Social. It's just, it's, it's just, it's contemptible. I'll think of as many other words as I can. It's exactly what they tried to do to Brett Kavanaugh when they called him an alcoholic rapist to try to stop him from getting on the court. And one would think that President Trump would have a little bit more empathy, uh, considering he's the one who nominated Brett Kavanaugh and had all of us defending him and defending Kavanaugh against those just reprehensible attacks. And now he's doing and participating in it when it comes to Ron DeSantis, all so that he will have a better shot of winning the nomination as the Republican nominee. And it's it's got to stop. It's got to stop. There's just some bridges that you, you go too far on, and he that's a bridge too far. He has crossed over into an area that, I don't know, a lot of people won't come back from. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, at this stage of the game, and I'm sorry if this offends you, but at this stage of the game, the only way I'm voting for Donald Trump is if indeed he is running against a Democrat. 
The only way I will support this behavior and this incessant attacking against good, strong conservatives who are trying to help us win these wars, these culture wars, protecting our kids, protecting our sovereignty, protecting our security, attacking them in the way that he is, I, it's, I, can't, I can't do anything with that. If, if it's Donald Trump or a Democrat, clearly I will go to the mat to stop the Democrat, but he's got to stop this. He's got to stop this. Period. Can't say it any more clearly. He's got to. Sister Mary Grace is calling us from Brooklyn on AM 1420, The Answer. Sister, good morning. God's blessings, Bob. Thank you. And You're to doing you. a great job and your whole team. Thank you. I really appreciate you. But it has to be more than I that is calling out to the Lord <clears throat> in the middle of the night and all times. The point is we must gain our control of the government. They are just doing so much here. And I have uh, papers here from our my attorney that we need in Cuyahoga County, that crooked river. It's got to be straight. And the point is we need a constitutional sheriff. And that needs to be on our ballot, not somebody in somebody's pocket. You know, we just don't do that. But a voted-in constitutional sheriff. That I think is. you make a very—I think you make a very reasonable request there. Thank you, Sister Mary Grace. I appreciate it. And uh, you know, and the, by the way, that is, friends, is is how you use Free for All Friday. Uh, the, whatever your topic, whatever your issue is, whatever your cause is, whatever your concern, whatever your question is, you bring it up. I hadn't even thought about something like Cuyahoga County Sheriff, uh, and that's exactly how it works. Good job, Sister. Thank you, Phil in University Heights. Phil, go ahead. Hey, Bob, you're doing great. I just wanted to comment uh, your last thing about President Trump. I, I, I agree with what you're saying. You know, DeSantos is only what he is because of Trump. And the same thing with the other people who are running and who are vigorous and who are full of uh, energy to try and change the country and straighten it out. He stimulated all this stuff. If he, he, he's the, he's the, uh, the, the king here. You don't denigrate everybody else that are coming up. They're not really the, uh, what, what you have to fear. Um, he did great things. He'll get, he needs to go in and, and clean up the rest of the mess that's in there and straighten it out. And then a guy like DeSantos or Nikki Haley or whoever turns out to be the, the, uh, the best candidate can come in and, and, and take it from there. But he set all this up, and he should be proud of it. He should be proud of all the things that are coming out of what he's done and not denigrate him. It totally him. agree. It, it yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I, I, you know, and he makes a great point. Thank you for the call, my friend. He makes a point, does President Trump, of saying that, hey, I endorsed Ron DeSantis and got him over the hump in his race for governor against Andrew Gillum. And it's true. He did. So what I would think that President Trump would be doing right now is saying, I'm very proud of Ron DeSantis. I made the right call. He's doing a great job in Florida. And he's going to be a great leader uh, in Florida for a long time to come and maybe beyond that. Now, he's not ready for president, in my view, because I think I'm the right guy for that job. But if he wants to enter the race, you know, we'll have a great discussion of the issues. We'll have a great uh, uh, debate on the best way to move forward. Uh, but, yeah, I'm very proud of him. I hope he does great. Do you know how much better that would be for President Trump's own brand? Do you know how many more votes he would pull in if he did that? Instead of calling him Ron DeSanctimonious and saying, is that Ron, really? They're grooming young girls and trying to denigrate him like a freaking leftist would? 
I won't back leftists, and I won't back leftist tactics. And what Donald Trump is doing right now to Ron DeSantis is a leftist tactic. It's what the left did to Brett Kavanaugh. So I, I won't have it. And you're right. President Trump had a huge role in Ron DeSantis becoming governor and then becoming the best governor probably in America. And there are some good ones. But he may be the best governor, certainly the best conservative governor in America, and that's why a lot of people think he's the guy to lead going forward. And President Trump should take pride in recognizing the greatness in Ron DeSantis that he did when he endorsed him and helped him get here. And he should say he's going to do a great job. Not now. His time will come. His time is not now because I'm running for president again, and I'm going to lead this country to greatness. And Ron DeSantis, I know, will support me every step of the way. Uh, when his time comes, I'll support him. But his time isn't now. That would win me, win him rather so much more support for me and from a lot of other people. President Trump would be uniting conservatives against the common enemy, the left. Instead, he's stabbing people in his own party and in the in, in his own conservative sphere and it just makes no sense that's it that's all the time we've got for today thanks to my guest gordon chang thanks to my team johnny and uh, marianne is out today uh, prayers for her and her family uh thanks to marcy and of course obviously thanks to you for listening we appreciate it very much i want you to have a great weekend be well be safe stay free see you monday bye-bye Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.